wanted to introduce the uh, gospel choir that's coming up. We're Black Voices Gospel Choir. As he said, I'm Damari. I'm the president. We'll be singing two selections, How Excellent, and everybody clap your hands. Sing our voice, singing our song, praising our Tonight, we are sticking with the same illustration. I know, shocking. We're going to stick with trees here at Rooted. Um, I'm going to share three scriptures, or you're going to read them. Some of you are helping me out with that tonight. I'm going to tell the crazy tale of a really old tree, and then I'm going to give you an invitation to imagine being a tree yourself. That was, not the, that was not the response I was expecting, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Okay, and then we're going to pray. Now, the prayer time at the end, I promise not to make this prayer time too long, too boring, or too weird. I cannot make promises on behalf of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes the Spirit is weird. Stay weird, spirit. So if you came tonight with a concern or a need or a seedling of hope, you have some cards on your table. And I want you to use that card, or maybe you have a prayer journal. I know this a lot of you are writing in prayer journals, which is amazing. Um, jot that down. And you, you might do it now on the front end because I don't want it like distracting you the whole time. Like if I, I've, I've got to remember, I've got to remember, I've got to remember what I'm praying for. Just write it down and let it be. As an act of already speaking in faith, I'm going to entrust this to God. There is nothing too trivial for you to put on that card. Whatever it is that is crying for your attention right now is worth putting on that card. Or throughout the talk, if something arises, that's the right time to write it on that card. After this talk, you can bring your card forward. I'm going to give you more instructions about that. Not that you're submitting it. It's not homework in any way. It's just a tool that we get to use to help us process what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us tonight and the ways that we get to pray together. We can pray about some of the things on the card, all of the things on the card, none of the things on the card. But that's later. First, let's talk about trees. So last night, we talked about trees by saying that we needed to send down roots, right? We were trees replanted in Eden, and we realized that there is a helper, a source in the soil that wants to help us absorb everything we need to absorb, to remember everything that's being taught to us, and that helper is the Holy Spirit. And so when we put our roots into Christ, what we discover is the Holy Spirit was already there, ready to help us receive everything that we need so that we can grow up in Christ. And that's not the same thing as planting ourselves in those little plastic boxes so that we can't ever actually send those roots down. That we've got to be comfortable with being the uprooted people that you are in this season of your life and trusting that God can replant you in a beautiful place where you can put new roots down into the soil that God has landed you in and trust that the Holy Spirit is there to help you grow. And then we said that you have the power 
within you because of the creator, the creator has endowed you with the ability to turn, to orient yourself toward the light of God. You have the power, you have the ability to make that shift, to orient yourself to the light of Christ. And the promise is this, that Christ's light shines on you. The holy blessing that we received, the great priestly blessing that we received as we ended, was the blessing that says, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And so tonight I want to continue with that idea. And the next thing that I want to say is that a tree that is well planted with roots, replanted into the soils of Eden, planted in roots going deep, and the helper there to help it absorb its nutrients and oriented toward the light so that it's growing in that way too, is a tree that is capable of bringing forth fruit. Here's the thing when we start talking about fruit. Sometimes that can be really exciting because, you know, fruit is the thing you can actually see. Like, can I see the Holy Spirit helping me absorb things? I mean, that's kind of a more of a feeling kind of thing. And can I see the light that I'm orienting myself to? I mean, God is the invisible God. I'm not sure about that. But fruit, I can see fruit, right? And then I think we get all worked up because then we're like, okay, is this the kind of fruit that I can count? I got to count fruit. Fruit cocktail, right? I got I to gotta figure out all this fruit that I'm supposed to be producing. And then we start to put a lot of pressure on ourselves about, am I producing the kind of fruit that I'm supposed to produce? Because aren't Christians supposed to be known by their fruit? And we can bump into a lot of things that start to feel a little bit heavy and confusing, especially now that we are planted having been uprooted out of the garden of our homes and replanted in a new place. So let's look at some scripture together. Someone is going to read Matthew 21, 18 to 22. Thank you, word of God, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Eugene Peterson, in the message version of that verse, says this, that Jesus got to the tree and there was nothing but fig leaves, and so he said, no more figs from this tree ever. And the disciples said they walked up to the tree, and they rubbed their eyes, saying, did we really just see what just happened? This tree was a leafy green tree one minute, and then a dry stick the next. And I don't know about you, but I listen to that story and I'm like, Jesus, just curse that tree. Like what in the world is this story about? And if I didn't feel pressure to produce fruit, suddenly I'm thinking like, I better get busy. Fruit meat or something, like what? Jesus walk up on my life and discover I'm an unfruitful person. Does anybody feel that pressure with me, or is that just my own perfectionism really gearing up, kicking up on high drive here on this verse? What in the world are we supposed to make of a religion, a faith that has stories like this, and that has a pretty long history of putting some heavy burdens on people about the kind of lives we're supposed to live? Lots of people telling us what a Christian life looks like, right? Can it get kind of confusing? Yeah. Little theology. It's kind of fun here. If you like nerdy theology. Eric Robinson from the Theophilus Institute. That sounds impressive, right? 
<laughs> Since the beginning, he says, fig leaves have become, a, have become symbolic of a man's desire to provide a covering for his own unrighteousness. Right, Bible nerds, Bible trivia. Yes, you are correct. When the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden ate the fruit they were not supposed to eat, and then they discovered they were naked and ashamed, they made clothing for themselves out of what kind of leaf, class? Fig leaves. Yes, they did. So fig leaves are just kind of one of those fun threads that if you have time to do nerdy stuff with the Bible, to trace that all the way through and discover all the places that fig leaves make an appearance. Just a fun thread to pull. Here's one of the ways that that thread will go. He says, Adam and Eve's relationship with God and with one another was broken. And the consequence would be death for them, except that God provided a way for their shame to be covered through the implied death of another creature. God said, take the leaves off, you look silly, and gave them clothing, animal skin, which is sad because an animal had to be sacrificed to cover up their mistakes, their rebellion. In the same way, Eric Robinson of the Theopolis Institute continues, the faulty religious system, which is that plastic box we were talking about last night, has been exposed in every generation. But in this story about a cursed fig tree, what in the world? It's being exposed here in Jesus' day. A system that was a leafy green tree from a distance, but yielded no fruit for those seeking spiritual sustenance, let alone to the God-man who is seeking the fruit of righteousness. So Jesus uses this tree that should have been producing fruit as a parable in the midst of these stories where Jesus has encountered some religious people who were planting gardens of plastic boxes for people to climb into and he wasn't seeing a lot of fruit in this religious community where they were going through a lot of motions, but their heart wasn't being transformed by the Spirit of God. And so it was fruitless. It was fruitless activity. It was a lot of do-gooding for no good reason. That's Matthew's version. Mark's is similar. Luke has a different version of this story. Or, or Luke, Luke pulls the thread a little differently in Jesus' story. Luke has us meet more fig trees. And in one parable, Luke has us meet a fig tree that has a gardener. And the fig tree is also a tree that's not producing fruit. And it doesn't produce fruit. And the owner of the fig tree tells the gardener that works for him, just go cut it down. And the gardener's like, I mean, that's harsh, right? Let, give me some time. And he works the root of the tree so that the root begins to absorb the nutrients that it needs and therefore can produce the fruit. Oh, that's kind of what I was hearing last night. So there's an alternative to this frenetic religious activity. There's a way that I can let the gardener, who wants to guess for me who the gardener might be? Yes, Jesus. Always the right answer, right? Je but this is the answer here. Jesus is the gardener we invite to come in and do some root work, do some pruning work, help us get our lives back oriented in his direction. And then there's another story that Luke tells. And this one's a little, it trips up the line a little bit because when we translate it into English, it's a story about a sycamore tree. But it's actually an interchangeable name here. It, 
A sycamore tree is a fig tree is a sycamore tree. The story goes like this. Tell it with me if you know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. All right, everyone who grew up in vacation Bible school, (laughs) way to go. (laughs) Yes, this fun story (laughs) about Jesus arriving in this town and finding this guy up in a tree because he's looking for Jesus. And the concept is we call him a wee little man because we are Scottish and because I don't know why else. But I, I, don't, think, I don't think that Zacchaeus was necessarily short. I think he was a small man. Like small-minded, small of heart, small of character. He was a small man. He had a small life, narrow viewpoint. He was a tax collector. And he had, well, just the short version of that means that he had robbed his neighbors. He had been unkind, unjust, Um, unrighteous in his community. He was a small man. And he climbed up in the tree because in his mind, that would give him greater access to this Jesus character that everyone had been talking about. And someone as important in his own mind as he was, he deserved closer access to Jesus But he wasn't really going to submit himself to meeting Jesus, to having to wait in line with other people to talk to Jesus, to waiting for someone to introduce him to Jesus. No, he was going to go over it by climbing in a tree, observing things from up here. And that's when Jesus calls him out and calls him down and says, hey, I'm glad to see you. I'm headed to your house. Now, here's what I've learned about when I call my boys who are in college and say, hey, I'm walking in the door. You know, I told you last night they love to surprise me. Hey, I'm pulling in the driveway. What's for supper? So turnabout's fair play. And I'm like, hey, I'm at your dorm. And I'm walking in the door. (laughs) And there's a little bit of a scramble, right? (laughs) Like, oh, God, mom's here. (laughs) (laughs) What is she going to see? What am I doing? What's happening? Because if we can be prepared for the Lord to come in, what kind of things are we going to tuck away in our lives? You know, our Sunday best, the stuff that we don't take to church with us, But what if the Lord surprises you and says, hey, I'm coming to be where you are today. And I'm going to walk into your house. And I'm not going to give you a chance to clean it all up. I'm going to see what you got out on your table and what you left in your sink and what's molding in your refrigerator and what's under your bed. And he's Jesus, so he's going to know the last time you cleaned your toilet. He just is. He's just going to know. That's for some of you from your mother. Pay attention. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. And so in Luke's version of the sycamore tree or the fig tree that's not bearing fruit, which in this story is a man named Zacchaeus, Jesus gives him the chance to go from very unfruitful, an unfruitful life, to a very fruitful life. And we've watched that happen in Zacchaeus' life. 
that the presence of Jesus transforms this man and he becomes almost an entirely different person. A small-minded man who became a giant of faith when Jesus comes to him. So, if the fruitfulness that we're looking for isn't the frenetic religious activity that we know how to pick up and put on when we go to do our church thing, well, then what is it? What is the fruitfulness? Because we must know that we don't want Jesus to look at our lives and look and call us unfruitful because that wasn't a great story either. So what is it? What is it? Is it, is it my participation? Is it, is it the number of baptisms that I can be responsible for? Like, is it notches in my belt that Jesus is counting? Is it, is it the number of times that I read the Bible or how many minutes a day I read the Bible or how many times I've read the whole Bible in my life? Is it the number of days in a row that I've spent listening to Caleb, whoever's doing the 40-day challenge, or is it the number of days that I've read my version app? Like, what's your streak right now on that app? Like, what is it? The fruit is having the attitude of Christ. That's the fruit. Someone's got Galatians 5 for me. A word you've written on your heart. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There it is in black and white. That's the fruit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. This is, this is the fruit that God is looking for us to produce in our lives. And it's not really something that we can check off during the day. It's not, it's not really a thing that can be counted. It's a way of being with Christ and like Christ that gets produced in us and affects the world. So how do we get good fruit? If that is the fruit, how do we get good fruit? Someone's got John chapter 15 for me. I mean, we've just made it really hard sometimes, and it's really that simple. This is the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you get the fruit? Those who abide in me will produce much fruit. And the lightning flash that hit me the day that I really heard this voice, that I really heard this word. Leanne, if you will abide in me, you will not be able to stop producing fruit. Just abide in me. And the fruit's going to come out of you because you are in me and I am a fruit-bearing God. And I desire to do that through you. So then it sounds like what my responsibility is is to figure out what it means in my life to abide in Christ, to abide there. What does that mean? I think that it means simply this, to invest your life, to invest your time, to invest your energy in knowing Jesus the best you can. So, so yes, that includes reading the Bible. Yes, that includes being a part of a church. Yes, that includes doing this. Yes, that includes shifting the, the desires, the affections of your life so that you actually enjoy listening to K-Love, right? Like it just, that's the, that is what the abiding is. It's, it's, it's the, the, the more time you spend getting to know Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. And these are tools, the Bible reading, the 
the worship time, the prayer time, even the serving others. When you go and you give something to someone else, your time, your resources, you share that in whatever capacity service looks like for you, all of that are tools that help us abide and rest in Christ. There's still activity to it, but I'm doing it from a place of resting in Christ. See, it's not frenetic activity that I'm trying to do, trying to make sure that God sees enough fruit in my life and there's enough things to count off so that God will see good things in me. No, it's resting. I'm just being with Jesus. I'm just discovering where Jesus is today and I'm going there. And I'm going to go hang out in the presence of Christ wherever I can find it and rest and know that I am loved and forgiven and there's mercy and there's grace there. And the more time that I spend in the presence of Christ, the more I start to reflect the presence of Christ. And that's the fruit. That's the fruit. My favorite use of a tree is a hammock pole. I love that trees can hold hammocks. And my favorite naps, well, my favorite naps are the ones where you can hold a sweet little baby and they just sleep right here. That's just the sweetest little nap. But I don't have babies anymore and I'm good with that. So <laughs> my, my favorite nap now is a nap in my hammock. Like, there's just not another great nap than that. Yes. Here's, here's the thing about the hammock, right? So, you know, the first time you climb into a hammock, it's a little sketchy, you know? Like, you don't quite know if this thing is going to flip you out. You might end up on the ground a few times before you figured this particular hammock out. That's always fun when you're at some resort, you know, and, you, you know, like, it's really fun to actually stand on your deck and watch people take the hammock on, and you figure out the right approach to it because you watch people, pew, like, be shot out. <laughs> That's not fun. So <laughs> then you figure out, like, how to approach, like, whether it's a hammock that you back into, right, and you kind of lean into it that way. Or, or it's the kind of hammock where you got to get it with your hand real good and kind of get at it with your shoulder. And, um, yeah, it's hammocks. Hammocks are fun. Once you get in and feel safe, though, here's what I love about my hammock. I have one of those rope hammocks that once you get in, like, it's like a spider web on me. And it just, whoo, like, cocoons me in. And so if the kids or the dog or my husband need anything, I'm like, I can't get out of the hammock. I can't help you. I'm so sorry. It's the fabulous. It's fabulous to be trapped in a hammock. And I've noticed that the longer I stay in the hammock, the deeper the hammock marks my skin. Really long naps in the hammock mean I wake up with all kind of crisscrosses up and down my legs. Are you tracking with me? The longer we abide in Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. And it may be a little sketchy at first as we try to rest in him. We might stumble and fall, but it's all right. You just keep at it. And then you find this rhythm with him. And you're like, oh, that's been there all along. And the world's going to be like, hey, hey, can you come? And you're like, hey, I'm just resting in Jesus. And then you get up from that, and people are like, you're like all Jesus-y. Wouldn't that be great? So roots and light and fruit. But one other thing that trees really need is each other. Trees grow strongest, tallest, best in a forest. They just do. They need community to grow bigger. Becoming a giant of faith 
requires that we be rooted in Christ and growing with others. Because, see, we can put down roots, and we can turn toward the light, and we can abide in Christ, but we will never, ever be the giants of faith that we are capable of being unless we are rooted in a community of believers. Here's why. After all, if the fruit of being in Christ, if the fruit of the Spirit, if what's really being produced in us is not just religious activity that's marking some list, but it's love then who are we loving? If it's joy, then who am I sharing joy with? If it's patience, who am I being patient with? You know, y'all probably heard that thing like, Lord, so far today, I haven't cussed, I haven't lied, I haven't cheated, I haven't been mean to anybody. And I haven't woken up yet. So in just a minute, I'm going to put my feet on the floor and I'm going to need you to help, right? Like, we, we grow bigger in our faith together because being together is hard work. And it takes faith to do it. And that's why it makes us bigger. Love isn't love unless it's shared with people who need love. Peace isn't peace unless it's shared in the midst of a community that needs peace. Patience isn't patience unless you're confronted with someone who needs patience. He made a way for us to be together. And in the being together, we grow more into the giants of faith that we were created to be. One last thought I want to leave with you about these trees. I have never had the privilege of seeing the redwoods in the Pacific Northwest. Has anybody been able to do that? Are they as magnificent as they sound? Yes, just like nothing like it, right? Here's here's just a couple of things that these giant trees And the reason I want to tell you this is because you have the capability endowed to you by your creator, each of you, to be giants of faith. But as giants of faith, there's a couple of things that are important for you to know right now as you are still growing in that faith. And one of them is this, life is bigger than the present moment. There is no doubt that you are grappling with some of the biggest things you have yet dealt with in your life. I have no doubt about that. But love, life is bigger than the present moment. This will pass. The struggle that you're in right now can be for your glory, can be for your strengthening, okay? We don't give in to, we aren't crushed by the present moment because it is temporary. There is a tomorrow. This is from someone who visited those redwoods. Redwoods are rugged trees. She wrote, as we walked through the forest, we saw many with deep grooves and bark rubbed raw. Anybody feel like that in life sometimes? bark rubbed raw. Some trees had been hit by lightning. Some had been partially burned. Some had been blown sideways by strong winds. Does life ever feel like that sometimes? Just blows you over. These trees had weathered many storms, but they did not look weak or ugly for all their battering. Recall that these trees are thousands of years old, some of them. So they've weathered a lot of storms. On the contrary, she said, walking among these mammoths, we were in awe of their strength and majesty. So hear me, students. Our trials 
have the capacity to make us strong and beautiful. Our trials have the capacity to make us strong and beautiful. Really, I should say it like this. Our God has the capacity to make us strong and beautiful in the midst of our trials, out of our trials. I don't have time to tell you all the trials that I've been through. You heard those, those three seed talks, that they, and they kind of mentioned some of the trials that they've encountered, and I'm sure that all of them resonated with, with some of you. I, I, I've walked through the fire of deep deep, heart-crushing betrayal. I have felt like I was drowning when we discovered that our child had significant cognitive and physical disabilities. Uh, We had a season that Wes talked about where my spouse's anxiety created an untenable situation. We both lost our jobs at the church, which meant we lost our homes, had to move in the middle of the school year. It It was yuck. All, but just to name a few, this, this writer again, she says, forest fires, common in its native region, open huge cracks in the trunk. Like, I feel that. I've known that. The heat gets so intense in my life that it, like, cracks me. It breaks something open in me. I feel broken and not together because of the fire that my life is in. However, she says, healing these wounds, though it takes a long time, It causes the tree to redouble its vigor. The tree, in seeing itself wounded, feels a heightened need to fight for survival, which imparts vitality for hundreds of years. The arrival of the fire means an extra two to three hundred years of life for the tree. I love the stories in scripture that literally talk about the fire that some of the saints of God stood in. Do you like to sing the song, Another in the Fire? You know what I'm talking about? So I love this image of these redwoods, that when the fire comes, it breaks the bark open. In, in a descriptive essay that I read, it said that, it, that the tree's brain, if it has one, sends messages to that section of the bark to cause sap to flow. And that that sap then sends more messages to the tree, and the tree begins to reach for extra nutrients in the ground that it needs to have healing. And it turns whatever it needs into the light to receive that as well. Do you see what our creator has endowed us with? That if that's true about a tree, you are so loved. You are so precious to God. Do you not think that he has endowed you with even more capabilities than the beautiful giant sequoias of the Pacific Northwest? That when life has come at you and seems to have set your life on fire and has cracked open the very core of who you thought you were, that yet still, because of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the capacity to reach deeper into the soil of the Spirit and reach higher to lift your hand toward heaven. And both places, you will be met by the God of creation who says, I have you. And when the fire comes, it redoubles the vigor of the life of the believer. It increases our faith two, three hundred times so that I can stand and say, I am wounded, but I am fighting. So, what does it mean 
to fight like a redwood. All right, do this with me. I need you to stand up. And I need you to strike a fighting pose. Come on, show me. Some of you are not scary. Come on, I got any karate kids out there? I've got the mafia over here at this table. Okay, good, good. What does it mean, stay standing, if you have, if you're balancing on one foot, you can put your foot down. What does it mean to fight like a redwood? Is it cutting other trees? Do we find the redwoods slashing at each other? I'm fighting, no. Do we find the redwoods kicking squirrels out of its trees, out of its limbs? Like the little squirrel. I'm trying to imagine fighting like a tree, <laughs> launching pine cones at hawks, you know? Like, we think what fighting means is to turn around and hurt other people. Like, in our pain, we just go slashing at other people, and we, we just get all messy with our mess, right? But hear this, men and women of God, children of faith, I want to encourage you to fight like trees because here's what the trees do when they fight. They send their roots down deep. Would you ground your feet right now? I'm talking about left, right, on the ground. Put it down in this prayer. Lord, I sink my roots into you. Thank you for that. Thank you that I am a tree replanted in Eden. And now look, God exists in places other than the attic of this building, right? But we just lift our hands as, a, as an act of knowing that God is everywhere, but God is above us as well. He is lofty and high and lifted up. So we lift our hands. Yes, yes, yes. To the sky, to the light, this posture. This is what it is to fight like a tree. Roots deep, branches in praise, faces to the light. Come, Holy Spirit. It remains, it abides. The tree is created to survive and grow and be beautiful. All right, put your hands down and look at me. Look at my face. So are you. So are you. You can be seated. Your invitation tonight is to bring all the all you've got to Jesus in prayer, whatever that is. I put no parameters on it. But you have already invested a lot of hours in this weekend. You had other choices, plenty of other places you could have been, other things you could be doing, Netflix series going unwatched. But here you are. So just finish the investment. Don't leave anything hanging out there that you and Jesus need to have a conversation about. Because a lot of times we get to this place and we get kind of itchy about it. And we're like, oh, but there's like people around and I don't know. And so I'll do it later. Don't let the enemy get at you like that tonight. Bring all your all tonight. And here's my promise. When you bring all of your all to Jesus, Jesus brings his whole self to the conversation. And Jesus' whole self in a conversation is pretty incredible. He is here. It is safe for you to come. Whatever you've written on that card, whatever you haven't written on that card, 
what you were too afraid to write on that card because it seems too trivial or too scary or too wonderful, whatever, bring that to you. If you bring your whole self to the process, Jesus returns the favor. And those of us who are here tonight as mentors, as faith leaders, we will make time for that as well to pray. So here's the process that we're going to follow tonight. Earlier tonight, you sang a song about an Ebenezer monument, right? And you beautifully sang that song about stone upon stone, building altars. So I'd like you to begin right at your seat and build an altar right there. And just begin the process of talking to the Lord right in your seat. And, and some of you are going to feel like, I got to move out of my seat. I got I to gotta, like, gotta make a move. I got to shove some things out of the way here. And I feel like I got to make a move. So you can come make an altar up here at this platform. And just whatever that, you know, whether you kneel here and put your face, you lay f- straight out on the floor. Look, I, I'm good with it, all right? You're not going to make me uncomfortable. There's a prayer room in there if you feel like you need to step in there. If you need to stand outside and wail, like really, seriously, you're not going to make me uncomfortable, all right? Wherever the altar is that you need to build. And in the process of being at that place and bringing all your all to Jesus, and you encounter Jesus bringing all of himself to you, if it strikes you, I really need one of these faith leaders to kind of help me through the next part of this process, then you just kind of look for us. And we're going to be looking for you, and we're going to come pray with you about those things. Anything on that card, everything on that card, nothing on that card. It doesn't matter. And we're just going to hang out until we're done praying. Now, cereal is still going to happen, all right? So it might be that you and Jesus, y'all stay caught up. It's good. Like, you don't... If you don't have a whole lot of talking to Jesus to do tonight, I'm not going to look down on you, okay? That's okay. <laughs> like it, it's okay not to have a huge, big moment. But don't, don't skip the moment. Take the minute. The book of James tells us that if any among you are sick or in need of healing... Then come to the elders to receive the laying on of hands. That's the, that's the verse. And the anointing of oil so that your sins can be forgiven and your wounds can be healed. And wounds come in physical and emotional ways, right? So we want to pray for your healing. That doesn't mean that we presume upon the Lord to give us exactly what we ask for when we ask for it. It does mean this. Am I okay to go another minute here? Okay. So I mentioned the kiddo with physical and cognitive disabilities. When I was, I don't know, 20-something weeks pregnant, which is halfway through for those of you who are unfamiliar with pregnancy terms, Baby number four, um, very, very typical, easy, normal pregnancy, all is rocking along. Got a phone call. Hey, you need to go in for some extra testing. I was like, nah. They said, no, really. Well, we discovered that the baby was going to have Down syndrome. And he was baby number four. <laughs> and baby number three was one, and baby number two was five, and baby number one was six. So having a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old, and the thought of having a baby with Down syndrome was terrifying. And I didn't know how to talk about it. And I went to a friend, and I said, I need to I need to pray about this, but I don't know how to pray about it. I don't know what to pray for. And she told me this. She said, what, what, what kind of odds are they giving you? I was like, well, what does it even make sense? Like, I don't know. They're like, there's a 1 in 800 chance or something like that. I was like, but that's not true. There's a 
there's either a one in one chance that I have a baby with Down syndrome or there's a zero in one chance. Like I have one baby, right? Like there's, he either has Down syndrome or he doesn't. And I don't want him to. That was the truth. And she said, then we hide the fear in the cleft of the rock and we trust that God will cover us there. And then we wait on the Lord. So I did. And I prayed. I prayed with a lot of faith. And I believed that God could move chromosomes around. I would declare he is fearfully and wonderfully made. You know him all too well. You are knitting him together in my womb. You can move chromosomes. You can move mountains. You can move chromosomes. I would get my little boys to put their little hands on my growing belly and say, declare over your baby, brother, that he is beautiful and strong. And they would. And he was born beautiful and strong and with Down syndrome. And what I learned about prayer was this. Sometimes the most fervent and faithful of prayers don't render the healing exactly like we ask for. But it renders the one needing healing the strength to bear up under the beautiful uncertainty of this world. It made me stronger so that I could be his mom. And what I've learned is that the world is a better place for having Joel in it. There's so many things about love and joy that we would not have known if Joel hadn't been born as Joel. What needed to be healed was my way of thinking and my way of loving and my way of understanding. So I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to pray big prayers of faith, and there's nothing that's not on the table, okay? We'll pray it. We'll pray those mountains moved. But I know a God who's bigger than what I know how to pray for, and we're going to leave room for God to shift us to be able to bear under the uncertainty of this world so that we can bear that kind of fruit in a world that needs it. That sound good? Okay. You're doing great. I'll start praying and you're going to start playing, right? All right. So God, here we are, and we've talked about these big things. And um, you're helping us process um, funny stories about trees and heavy stories about little men becoming big and big faith. And we confess, God, that there are ways that sometimes we don't even know how to talk to you about the stuff that's so huge in our lives. So one of the things that we ask for is grace, just to name it, the way that that um, Olivia and Caroline were encouraging us tonight. The way that Wes was teaching us, that there's so much of that iceberg that's under the water. And so God, what we're asking for is that you just float that all to the top so that we can begin the process of, of healing and not hiding. I thank you that this room is filled with men and women of God who are being replanted trees in Eden. That you are reforesting the earth with Eden. That the kingdom of God is near and it is bearing weight and fruit in the world. And so, God, whatever, whatever the enemy has brought against these, your daughters, your sons, that has created um, 
fire in their life, just has set their life on, on fire, not in a good way, but like it's consuming and, and, and burning and, and hurting and, and, and they're f- afraid that they're just going to be consumed by it. I thank you, Spirit, that you are the wind that blows and the rain that pours. And you are the one that stands with us in the fire. So that we are not consumed. Except by you, Holy Spirit. So come and do more than I can ask or imagine in their lives. Because they're so needed. There's their lives, their lives, their purpose, their their meaning, their who they are, and, and how the, the ripple effects of their lives is so necessary in our kingdom, God, in your kingdom, God. So thank you. Thank you for what you're saying to them right now. Thank you for the things that you're bringing up that you want to address and and move. Thank you for the gratitude that's rising up in them, the kinds of altars of remembrance that they're building, remembering who you have been, which is who you still are and who you can be in their lives. Thank you for the generations of investment. God, thank you. Thank you for the the great-great-grandma that prayed over this one. Didn't even know his name, didn't even know her name, but was praying faith, and here they are coming and knowing faith and knowing you in this generation because of that faithful prayer. Thank you for the fruit of righteousness that you're producing in them. Give them courage, spirit, to bring all their all. Jesus, thank you that that you're all in with us. You're so here. You're so real. And by the way, you're so beautiful. We love being loved by you, and we love you. All these prayers in your name, Jesus. Wow, what a, what incredible rooted. Um, thank you all for being a part of it with us uh, this weekend. And just to echo what Leanne said, if there's, if the spirit is lingering, if there's a conversation you need to have, if there's something you need to write, if there's a prayer that you need to pray, uh, then there's going to be cereal. Uh, but don't be afraid to take all the time you need uh, for whatever that might be. I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you for showing up once again here at Rooted. We thank you for your spirit that has filled this room and has filled our hearts. God, I pray that as we go from here, God, we know that you are always with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray that what we've heard what we've learned, what we've experienced, whatever it is this week in God, that we would take that with us 
and that you would continue to just grow and shape us more and more into your image to be more like Jesus. It's all this that we ask with such gratitude in the name of your son, Jesus.